1: Welcome to this On the Continent transfer special, your definitive guide to the news across Europe. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Adi Brasson. And I'm Jonathan Johnson. On this transfer special, we call it D-Day. What do the French call it as the deadline approaches for Kylian Mbappe to put up or shut up his time at PSG? Also, everybody loves a freebie. Have Benfica gone and nicked one of the free transfers of the window? And we're answering all your questions on who is going where and who's not going anywhere across the European leagues. JJ, always good to have you back. The speculation, though, about Paris is um, everywhere from over here. Is that the ultimate destination? People are asking for one Harry Kane.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, we've had Harry Kane being linked with PSG before. It seems to have taken on uh, sort of uh, an an extra uh, sort of dimension this summer, given that there's so much speculation surrounding Kylian Mbappe. But let's not forget as well, sort of PSG are in their annual quest to to try and rid themselves of Neymar as well. So, uh, you know, it is sort of the the moment really for, for PSG to completely rejig their attack obviously now Messi's gone he's now uh, you know signed and training with, uh, with Inter Miami but uh, you know Kane for me I think was To be honest, it's a bit of a non-starter. I know there's been reports in the UK that he's absolutely ruled out the possibility of going to PSG, so it seems like a a straight shootout between staying at Spurs or going to Bayern Munich. But to be honest, it always seemed like a bit of an odd fit um, to me, uh, You know, Kane coming to to PSG. I mean, I I think there is a strong argument, especially if Mbappe stays, for PSG to go with this uh, new style of attack or one that they haven't had for a couple of years at least by reinstating sort of a focal point of the attack, which they haven't had in the years where they've had Mbappe, Messi and Neymar playing together, uh, you know, go with someone who's got, uh, you know, a bit more sort of physical stature. Uh, you know, Men obviously another player who's been linked with them, Randall Muani as well, uh, and even Gonzalo Ramos from, uh, from Benfica. But in terms of Kane, it's one of those rumours where it's it sort of... Flares up a little bit, uh, you know, gets a little bit of airtime, and then is sort of quickly discarded. And another sort of uh, targets are, are pursued. There's also been links with uh, Juventus's Dusan Vlahovic uh, as well. So ultimately you know we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens uh, you know with mbappe and how this psg attack looks especially with luis enrique being reunited with neymar but in terms of uh, of harry kane's psg even from day one I, I kind of found it difficult to buy into
0: and jj there are two sides to this really aren't there because i think from the perspective of killing mbappe let's let's just assume for a second that he is staying at PSG for, for for this next year, which to me seems the most likely situation as, as things stand at the moment. He has been very vocal, certainly to the club, on wanting a striker, a proper centre forward, if you like, to, 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 to play off. So we're not really talking about Mbappe replacement. We're talking about complementarity. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, he has flip-flopped before on the decision. Maybe that is something that a, a more functional team is something that could convince him to stay, at least for a, for a little bit more. I, I don't think we can completely rule that out yet, especially with, with what happened when we go back to his last contract signing. But my question to you, especially when we're looking at players of the sort of stature that we're looking at, whether it's Kane, Ozymen, Vlaovic, as you mentioned, different prices, of course, different types of striker, although I'm sure Mbappe would be happy enough playing off any of them, and the same with Gonzalo Damos, none of them cheap. If Mbappe stays, how do they get to the point where they can actually afford those under uh, FFP?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And I do think that there is, um, you know, sort of an argument to say that PSG are going to have to sell in order to buy for the remainder of this window. They've already been quite busy with a number of players coming in. I know a handful of those were free transfers, but you've also had them spending fairly big on, on Manuel Ugarte, uh, Lucas Hernandez as well. So, you know, there are sort of financial aspects to to consider. But let's not forget that, you know, one of PSG's main aims this summer is to keep hold of Mbappe, but also to finally rid themselves of Neymar. Now, whether or not that is something that we can realistically happen, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's already been some interesting business done, sort of, you know, PSG kind of hedging their bets, so to so to speak, with bringing back Xavi Simons after a fantastic season with PSV Eindhoven, immediately loaning him back out to, uh, to RB Leipzig. You know, and that's sort of a, a window into PSG's thinking, perhaps moving forward sort of beyond this summer. But I do think that there is, uh, you know, some truth in, in what you suggested in in the fact that if PSG are able to, to sort of rejig that attack, say the best case scenario, they're able to cash in on Neymar and suddenly afford, uh, you know, some uh, complementary striker profile to play alongside Mbappe. Of course, I do think that, you know, if you know, things go well enough, this campaign, it could convince Mbappe to stay on for a little bit longer. But the thing is, PSG don't want to take that risk. They don't want to wait until midway through the season for Mbappe to make up his mind. There's this sort of deadline that's been set, uh, you know, by the end of the month for him to, to make up his mind. Uh, it, It kind of, this kind of echoes of Neymar's situation just before he left Barcelona as well, where there's a loyalty bonus that will come into play uh, later this month, which is, you know, quite hefty. We're talking sort of tens of millions, Uh, you know, so I think that, you know, in terms of sort of what PSG are trying to do at this moment in time, they almost need to build the attack or rebuild this attack that can function with or without Mbappe, Uh, you know, and if Mbappe is to go, you'd assume that they'd be able to add uh, another extremely, uh, you know, sort of expensive and and, and lavish element to it Uh, because, you know, I don't think PSG would just Cash in on Mbappe, uh, you know, and stand still in the transfer market.
1: It must be the worst kept secret in the European summer transfer window that PSG are after a number nine. As you've both intimated there, you know, Kane has been rumored, but but we've ruled him out. Um, it seems like the PSG ultras have ruled out Vlavic. Why?
0: Which is funny, Dotton, because he's probably the most affordable of the three, as things stand at the moment. Um, Juventus are open to doing business. Vlaovic isn't particularly happy there, very much like Federico Chiesa, his his teammate, as we've discussed before. They've even lined up their replacement in Romelu Lukaku, Juventus. Um, But the problem is you had um, a collective of um, Paris ultras outside the stadium at the Parc de France the other day, JJ, because... They were unhappy with him having worn a T-shirt while he was playing for Serbia with Kosovo in the borders of of Serbia. So they're really not pleased with him about that. And he was doing the the three-fingered Serbian salute. And they told him where he could stick those three fingers, basically. Um, It's it's difficult because I tend to think... um, I I mean, JJ can tell you better than me. the, The relationship between PSG and the Ultras is a strange one because they need those Ultras to stop the stadium turning into a shopping mall. You know, they needed to bring them back and needed to bring back some sort of spirit to the club. However, you've got to be realistic and say they're limited in numbers. I think, I don't know about you, JJ, but if they want to do business with Vlaovic and he turns out to be their best option, I think they'll just bring him anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've already seen an example of that happening. Uh, you know, already this summer, PSG's Ultras weren't happy at on theirs potentially arriving from Bayern Munich. Uh, you know, not, necessarily, uh, you know, because they, they didn't feel he was up to task, but and on this, uh was born and raised in, uh, in in Marseille. Obviously, he came through the ranks in footballing terms uh, in Spain. Yet, uh, you know, he you know was born and raised in Marseille. Uh, so those links with PSG's bitter rivals, uh, you know, didn't please the the ultras at all. And I I think Andy's right. You know, it has been a particularly tricky time uh, in terms of PSG the club's relations with the ultras. You just had to look at the scenes from a couple of months ago where they were camped outside of club HQ chanting against Messi chanting against the club the leadership Uh, you know they even paid a visit to to Neymar outside his house in the suburbs of Paris as well to uh, tell him that they wanted to to see the back of him so you know they have been disgruntled now for quite some time Uh, just before the end of the season it seems like an agreement was made uh, in terms of the direction that the club is going to go moving forward certainly in terms of its image uh, notably uh, with the return of sort of the traditional kit design which is something dear to their hearts as well but it's yeah it's it's been a trickier time for, for PSG, the club, to win over the, the Ultras.
1: That's, well, Ozymen, there are no flies on him, as far as I can tell. Um, you mentioned, Andy, that he would cost too much, though. I think that's
0: the issue really for Ozymen in the, in the market generally. I mean, you look at where Aurelio Di Laurentiis is, is, is pitching the figure, around 180 million or possibly even more. I mean, that's not really doable for anyone. In, in, in the current market. And Ozymen is in the situation where his agent has reiterated this week that he's he's happy there. They are discussing a new contract. I think the most logical endpoint with Ozymen is an extended contract with a pay rise and probably some sort of buyout clause in it that is a bit lower than that. So Napoli feel they're getting fair value and he feels he's, he's getting fair value and he gets to have another crack at the Champions League with them next year.
1: Yeah, although the transfer window is crucial, nevertheless, it feels like we're dancing around the real issues of League 1, JJ. The, um, I, I think this question by Max on socials does address the uh, existential question mark um, that the French football might be facing at the moment. It says, with stars like Messi and Mbappé leaving or wanting to leave Ligue 1, it's obviously a PR nightmare for French football. And which other European league has the financial muscle to perhaps usurp Ligue 1 into the top five leagues in France's place? I mean, I think it's a a really good question and and particularly
2: topical at this moment in time, uh, especially sort of given the the situation uh, for France at this moment in time with the UEFA coefficient, the fact that the the domestic and and international TV rights will be up for grabs from September, uh, I believe, uh, you know, with a view to to starting in the following season. And it's, uh, you know, on the pitch, uh, you know, French football is not in a great place right now based on its performances the last couple of years in Europe. Uh, You've got the Netherlands knocking on the door, Belgium as well, Uh, you know, sort of that traditional kind of rivalry between France and, and Portugal has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit because you've got. The Netherlands just making this crazy run where you know they very well uh, may be able to to usurp league you know without the need for for major financial muscle I think it's sort of beyond the 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 question of finances at this moment in time specific to league they've sorted out this commercial subsidiary uh you know which technically means in financial terms they should be okay to safeguard their place in the top five leagues but it's not just about the you know the the sort of finances and sort of rebuilding post COVID uh, and that you know looking back on it now that disastrous decision to to curtail the season uh, prematurely it's genuinely about you know French football and whether it's strong enough to to remain one of the the top five leagues because based on recent performances in Europe some of the big clubs massively underperforming PSG uh, you know one of those uh, clubs. It's, uh, you know, it's starting to be extremely worrying, uh, you know, especially ahead of the the UEFA reforms because Ligue 1 is hanging on by the skin of its teeth. So I'd say that, you know, sort of messy, leaving, uh, you know, I, I do think Mbappé is sort of a case apart because Ligue 1 models itself as being the league of talents and, and Mbappé is, you know, the strongest example of that. But you know, Neymar and Messi, even having them in the league, hasn't necessarily brought the wave of interest that many people thought it would. So, sort of from a financial standpoint, I don't think those kind of departures actually will massively impact, uh, in a detrimental sense, Ligue 1. The thing that's really doing most of the damage is just the poor performances from French clubs in Europe season after season.
1: Although, Andy, Ligue 1 could turn around and say, yeah, reports of our demise are somewhat premature. That Although the there are stars who want to leave, there are stars coming back to Ligue 1. Uh, the one that's caught my eye and perhaps has caught yours as well is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, once upon a time of Arsenal and uh, Barcelona and then Chelsea. And now he seems to be on his way to Marseille.
0: Yeah, it does, Dotten. And honestly, I think this is actually... In terms of star power, yes, it's an addition to Ligue 1. I think it's actually a a cause for concern a little bit because what JJ was talking about there, about France um, positioning itself as the, the league where these talented young players develop and get on their way to being world superstars, this is a bit closer to the sort of transfer you might see in the Turkish Super League, for example, throwing a lot of money at... A player who, let's be honest, he's past his best. I think you look at his age, you look at how he's finished with his last couple of clubs. Marseille giving him a three-year contract. If they were signing him on a one year with an option of a second, fair enough. I would get that. But it looks as if he's going to replace Alexis Sanchez. Now, it's not impossible that Alexis Sanchez goes back to, to Marseille. He's been offered a, a new deal with a bit more money. He, he is a candidate to go to Saudi Arabia as well, so he's making his mind up at the moment. But you look at how Alexis Sanchez sets the tone for that Marseille team physically with his energy. Aubameyang can't do that anymore. There's just no question. He, he just can't directly replace him. You know, he's a good goal scorer when you get him in the spot, or should I say he has been a great goal scorer when you get him in the spot in previous seasons. I think you look at... The way it's worked out at Chelsea, but not only that, the way it ended at Arsenal, where they felt they had a millstone contract, the way Barcelona got rid of him after six months. and Yes, he's a beloved personality there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but you know they have other priorities, even though he's very popular in the, in the dressing room there. And of course, the, the way it finished at Dortmund, which is going way back to when he was still a going concern, really. But really, if we're looking at the form of someone well into his 30s, over the last couple of years, why would you be giving him a three-year contract? To me, this seems crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think as well, something else to factor in with Aubameyang is when he's been linked with returns to Ligue 1 in the past, his stock has obviously been a lot higher than it is now. Uh, and he's always, uh, you know, sort of gone out of his way to say, oh, you know, if I return to, to France one day, it'll only be to play for Saint-Étienne, which was the club where he really exploded onto the scene, kind of made something of his career and obviously was able to to sort of spring from there to, to Dortmund. Uh, you know, we've heard the same from Eden Hazard as well, uh, when he's talked about, you know, if he ever came back to 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 Ligue 1 he would only go to Lille Uh, you know those are are two clubs who you know realistically looking at where those players have gone since leaving France uh you know those clubs won't be able to afford the players so I think it also is kind of telling when a player goes back on what they've said publicly numerous times uh in (laughs) these kind of situations uh you know and I think for Obama you know it's almost a, a gift from the gods really that's fallen into his lap and I also think Unfortunately, it points out the limitations of this Marseille project as well. You know, they've just appointed Marcelino as their new coach. Is he gonna be sort of banging his head against the same wall, the same problems that, that previous managers have had where they have to work within this really restricted budget, try to challenge PSG for the title, try to win some domestic silverware and try to be competitive in Europe and then ultimately end up failing and, and riling up the supporters. And that manager leaves after say, you know, 12 to 18 months which, you know, has been a sort of reoccurring, you know, pattern uh, of late. So, you know, I do think that, you know, Andy is right. And there's, a, you know, a, a lot to, to sort of question about Obama Yang you know, potentially coming back. But it would be a big game changer for OM if, uh, if Sanchez decided to stay on. But the fact that Marseille are really pushing to get this deal done for Obama Yang suggests that it's more likely that he's off to Saudi Arabia than
0: staying at Stad Velo unfortunately.
1: And Benjamin Mendy is off to Lorient. Andy, how much of a surprise was that for you?
0: A big surprise. Um, obviously, it's not a long time since he was uh, cleared of the very serious charges that he was, he was, he was facing in, in, in England. Um, but it's also clear, as you were pointing out to me off, off Mike, that you know, they've been setting this up for a while if, if it's happened so quickly. And um, it seems that they agreed the contract 15 days ago Um, at the time of recording. So a good 10 days before his his, his not guilty verdict. Um, You know, I I think there are are moral questions about it, obviously. Um, Although he has been found not guilty of of, of all the charges against him. I think this is about the level, though, at the moment. I think when you look at not just the moral side of it, but the football side of it. Lorient are said to have... um, got guarantees over his fitness and his form. I don't really know how they can have because he hasn't played football for, for well over a year. Um, and he's a player who's suffered serious injury and clearly not taken the best care of himself over, over, over recent years with, with his lifestyle. That's something that you, you can't deny. So this is not about me... Being frankly really disappointed about the reaction of a, a lot of footballers uh, to, to, to this verdict, um, which I think, you know, was using their platform in a in, in a way that was really quite irresponsible. But it's, it's about if we're talking about the practicalities of it, and you know, this, this is clearly just about the practicality of it. There's a lot of unanswered. He was a brilliant player when, uh, when Monaco won, won the league with Kylian Mbappe, Falcao, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in tow. That was a really long time ago now. You know, he was, he was in his early 20s, now he's 29,
1: and we have no barometer
0: for his recent form at all.
1: Uh, JJ, he is a World Cup winner for the French public. How surprised were they that he's ending up at Lorient?
2: Oh, hugely surprised! Uh, You know, I think uh, Andy speaks a a lot of sense. I mean, I think there's other specifics to sort of factor in as well. But uh, you know, sort of, you know, taking it back to to sort of what this is, there's just huge surprise um, across France. One that he's sort of back in the game so soon, um, but also sort of the the destination as well because. As Andy alluded to, you know, this is someone who, you know, didn't just sort of burst onto the scene as part of a Monaco side, uh, you know, that really caught everyone's attention and, uh, you know, ended up getting bought up by half of Europe. But also, uh, you know, this is somebody who was part of the World Cup winning squad in 2018 as well. So, you know technically uh you know sort of based on what he achieved obviously before all of the charges uh and the legal wrangles uh you know he's somebody who you know helped uh Les Bleus to to one of their you know their their most successful moments in international history their second international uh you know the second world title so you know there's this kind of conflict of uh, of feelings uh you know and also on themselves Although that kind of reputation has kind of disappeared over the last few months since they uh, got bought out in part by uh, Bournemouth's ownership, they're generally speaking, you know, one of those quite likable clubs. Not, I wouldn't necessarily compare them to a Fulham, but they've kind of got that kind of, um, you know, inoffensive kind of feel to them where everybody can kind of, you know, like Lorient and, and, you know, be quite happy for them when they're doing well. And now suddenly you've got this massive, uh, you know, moral question mark hanging over them as, uh, you know, as Andy pointed out. So it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out, uh, you know, in many different uh, aspects. But, you know, there's still just massive shock in the, in, in the French footballing community that, you know, this has happened and happened so quickly.
1: This is an OTC Summer Transfer special that you're listening to, OTC on the Continent, being part of the Football Ramble firmament. You can get hold of us at any time during the course of the week. And thank you for all the uh, notices that you've gotten in touch with on social media. Um, We're talking about great moves in this Summer Transfer window. We all know that everybody loves a freebie. And when you see a player walk off into the sunset and is available for free. Well, there's a lot of interest. Uh, are you surprised though, of the fact that Angel de Maria, great player as he arguably still is, but certainly was, is returning to Benfica. and you do the Portuguese. I'm
0: surprised that he, Estude uh, de volta Benfica because he is still at such a high level. Gotten. I mean, bear in mind uh, he's 35 years old, 36 in February but this is a guy who was arguably man of the match in the World Cup final. He's brilliant. Uh, He was brilliant for Juventus at the moments where he he was allowed to be. Of course, a few little injuries which is maybe a concern. But this is immensely exciting for Benfica fans and for the Portuguese Liga. Now, when you talked about stars before grabbing the imagination and propelling a league forward I don't know if it's because it's short term and because he's at a certain age it's maybe a little bit too late and it's a little bit too short term to do that for the Portuguese Liga but what is clear he's going to be the best player in the league by some distance he's also you talked about free he's going to be the best paid player in the history of the league so they paid him some five six million to sign on and he's getting somewhere between five and six million a year net, which for Portuguese football is, oh my God, sort of money. It's, it's incredible. But most people feel that he will be a game changer. Of course, there are some that feel it's a backward step. Benfica should be about producing players. And Benfica have been about producing players over the last 10 to 15 years. You look at the transfer profits they've made. Um, they're incredible. But what was interesting to me is uh, Rafa Silva, their playmaker, who's been great over the last couple of years, Um, was offered a king's ransom to go to to Qatar and has decided that he's going to stay for the last year of his contract. Maybe he'll extend, maybe he won't. We'll we'll wait and see. But you get the impression that at least part of that is because he wants to play with Di Maria because it's incredibly exciting for everyone involved. And he made his debut um, at the weekend in the away friendly at Basel. Now, of course, the atmosphere there was fire because so many Portuguese people in expats in Switzerland. So Benfica were treated like rock stars wherever they went. And in this game, Di Maria plays, having not played since the end of the season, scores a goal involved in the other two as they win handsomely. So a really, really great first impression.
1: It sounds, JJ, from what Andy says, like Di Maria is to Portugal and specifically Benfica what uh, they're hoping Lionel Messi will be to into Miami and uh, the Major League Soccer. But here's the stat with Angel de Maria that we should take note of. He has played in the last eight seasons, 30 games a season in all competitions. Age, or at least 35, ain't nothing but a number, is it? i mean you've got uh, you know two sort of
2: different schools of thought on this i know a lot of people are starting to read into sort of how um you know how often players play uh you know at younger and younger ages now so like whether they peak sort of before uh, you know their 30s and potentially burn out faster as well but you know when you look at de Maria sort of everything that he's done especially over his career since arriving in europe uh, you know he has been absolutely key you know pretty much wherever he's gone you know He was absolutely key for Real Madrid, uh, you know, in in ending the wait for La Decima. Uh, He was, you know, one of the star names for PSG over a prolonged period of time. Arguably deserved you know, potential success in that Champions League final. Uh, you know, perhaps more than most uh, at PSG given everything that he'd sort of contributed to the cause since his uh, arrival after that ill-fated time with uh, with Manchester United. But you know, I think there is this fondness attached uh, you know, to his time with Benfica because that's where he really uh you know sort of burst onto the scene and you know earned that move to, to, to Real Madrid. Uh, and if we believe the rumors, there there was the possibility that Di Maria and Messi. Could have uh, linked up in uh, in Miami. I'm, I'm sure that Messi would have loved to have had uh, you know that kind of silver service uh, you know for himself at least for for one season uh, in MLS. But uh, you know I do think sort of the romantic side of me you know thinks that or feels that you know Di Maria turning down the potential riches of Saudi Arabia and and also sort of turning his back on on his good pal Messi to to go and. Go back to, to where he is so loved and cherished is, uh, you know, is fantastic and is, uh, you know, an increasingly rare thing to see in uh, in football these days.
0: That's the funny thing, isn't it, fellas? If you imagine him going to into Miami to be with Messi, that would have been completely in character, Di Maria, because for someone who is, and he's never really quoted as being, never really held up as being one of the best players in the world, which is what he absolutely is, by the way, it's, it's really interesting that he always... He's probably the most modest superstar you can think of. You know, there's nothing starry or showy about him at all, despite the fact that, you know, there's so much about him that's exciting. He's still got his pace. He's still obviously increasingly wise on the ball. He's always made things happen, as as, as JJ said. But him going and being the supporting piece for Messi would have been very in character. Whereas going to Benfica, going back to Portugal to be the superstar... It's actually a bit out of character for him, isn't it? And you saw him on the balcony outside the Estadio de Luz, um greeting the fans. But he just had the feeling he was really enjoying it. And I don't think you can deny him that. It was, it was a really beautiful moment, I felt. You know, you had, what, four or five thousand Benfica fans who'd come to the stadium and were making a massive fuss of him. And maybe he's just thinking, maybe it's, maybe it's my time to get my flowers. And if so, fair enough.
1: I love the way you've both characterised him because as a player, it reflects what you said, the silver service that you talked about, uh, JJ. That's what he does on the field, isn't it? He says, no, no, you take the limelight. Let me pass the ball to you. Let me be the provider to you. And he's happy, as you say, Andy, to uh, modestly carry on and do his business, his professionalism. Okay, so that's one of the transfers this summer that has certainly caught my eye as a freebie or otherwise. Are there any others, I wonder, or which other big moves have you both been uh, noting in, in this transfer window so far? There's more to come.
0: Um, well, are on the subject of freebies, especially freebies that aren't really freebies, obviously, because they're heinously expensive. Once you arrive on a, a free transfer and you can tell the club, OK, what you didn't pay in transfer fee, you can pay me in signing on fee. Um, I think with the FFP concerns that they've got, Roma have had to be prudent. They're having to continue... To be prudent. And I think they picked up two real good ones in Usem Awa and Evan Ndika. And I think Awa's someone who was really highly rated for a really long time, uh, someone who's got incredible natural ability, who always showed up in the big games for, for Lyon. And then you go back a couple of years when a move to Juventus fell through on deadline day. And he's found it really hard to get it back together from that point. He's become increasingly marginalised at Lyon. But I can't believe that talent's gone away. Um, He's, I think, made the most of being out of the team over the last six months in particular. Um, Firstly, he agreed to play for Algeria internationally instead of France. And so he's playing international football now, which is great for him. And secondly, when he arrived at Roma, he gave his first interview in really terrific Italian. And, you know, the interviewer said, how have you, how do you speak such good Italian? And he's like, oh, well, I've been doing a few lessons. I was like, well, of course you have. You know, you know you've been coming for six months. So you've given yourself a little head start. But someone who's arrived with that attitude, who's apparently looked great in training so far, and Mourinho's really warm to him um, already, I, th- I think is, is great. And, and Evan Ndika, who's been brilliant for Eintracht over the last couple of years, um, he had a couple of other options as, as, as well. Someone who can play centre-back or left centre-back in a, a three, a left-sided defender, the, the sort of which are worth a lot at the moment. Um, he's physical, he's quick. He played a, a massive role when Eintracht Frankfurt won the Europa League. I think those are two really smart signings. And, you know, sometimes necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? So I'm interested to see how they... And possibly the next couple
1: improve Roma. Any necessity or inventions that you've managed to notice in this transfer window yourself, JJ? Uh, I'm going more for intrigue, actually.
2: And the the club that's Ooh. caught my eye so far is actually RB Leipzig. Looking at some of the deals they've done recently, they they've picked up a, an absolute gem, as far as I'm concerned, in uh, El Bichabu uh from uh, PSG's youth academy. We normally know that uh, you know in a couple of years' time, having s- spent uh, you know a couple of seasons in the the German school of excellence, he'll be sort of high on the list of priorities for a number of. European giants but I'm looking at some of their other deals and it's actually a really curious transfer window from them so far uh, because it connects with a number of different clubs as well you they've gone massive uh, on Lois Penda from Lens which was really curious to me because although he had uh, an absolute insane burst of form towards the end of last season I didn't picture any club in Europe stumping up nearly 50 million euros for his signature, but that's what they've done. Uh, and now, Lance, uh, you know, have quite a big void to, to fill ahead of their uh, return to the Champions League. Uh, you've got the, you know, the, the sort of traditional, uh, you know, cherry picking from uh, from Salzburg where you've got uh, Benjamin Sheshko and uh, also Nicolas uh, Sevald, uh who added to the midfield uh, along with Baumgartner who's, who's come in from Hoffenheim. So to me, I, I think, I don't know really what to expect from Leipzig because they they piqued my curiosity again by picking up Xavi Simons, but with no option to buy whatsoever. It's just a straight loan for one season. So obviously there's something in the making there uh, under Marco Rosa. And, uh, you know, it feels like I'm I'm really intrigued to see how they look, uh, you know, once they've got a couple of games under their belt this season, both in the
0: Bundesliga, uh, but also in Europe as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, JJ. I mean, I, I, I've no idea whether they're going to be any good or not, to be honest. There's a lot of talent on the books. But then you think of the loss of Nkunku, their most important player, Soboslai and, and probably Guardiola by the end of this transfer window as well. We expect him to go to to Manchester City at some point. And that is the guts to be ripped out of your team. And I think when Sobieski went, they thought, okay, we've got to make some moves here. And some of those moves are quite non-RB Leipzig moves. You no, know, really, if they were going to pick up an appender before, they wouldn't be paying fifty, well, nearly fifty million for him, like forty-six million or whatever. They would be picking him up from the Belgian league in the, in the first place, and then and then taking it from there. So you add that to. Last summer, when they brought back Timo Werner for quite a lot of money and, and big wages as well, S- something's moving on there. And there's a lot of pressure on Max Abel, the sporting director.
1: Yeah. Do you remember, you can get in touch with us anytime during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ebayo, at Andy Brassel and at John underscore Le Gossip. Um, we, a lot of people have gotten in touch with us this time around. You, you understand why. Not least because sobers lie, sobers lie, sobers lie, 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 <laughs> Not least because, no, well, it's an important point because I probably am the one that should tell everybody how to pronounce uh, Rasmus Hoylund, Rasmus Højlund. David on Insta asks, "Is Rasmus Højlund the real deal, and will he succeed in the Premier League? Manchester United are at least very interested in bringing him to Manchester. Being Scandinavian, there will be the comparison. Is he Erling Haaland Mark II? I will
0: tell you what he is. If he's a listener to OTC, he's probably sitting there thinking." these bloody Swedes thinking they can pronounce my name. Get off. I'm Danish, pal. Yes. Good, point. Good uh, point. He, could, he could form a support group with last. But yes, I, I think you, you look at him and I, I, I'm, I think he's the real deal. I'm very convinced by him. And of course, we've got a relatively small sample size to go on uh, Atalanta. Um, but of course, he's had that incredible start to his international career with Denmark. And he's a striker who... Really, Denmark could have done with during the World Cup because they played pretty well and they didn't have a centre-forward worth his salt. So someone who's got movement like that, who's so decisive in front of goal, who can score different types of goals, I think was going to get picked up by someone and will get picked up by someone at at some point. It's not a cheap deal to do for Manchester United and it shouldn't be because he's he's got enormous potential. But I think it is the right sort of move for Manchester United they shouldn't really be out there for an Mbappe or a Harry Kane. Obviously, they can't really at the moment because of the situation they're in between takeover and not takeover or, or, or whatever. But I think really a situation where you can have Marcus Rashford as your starting centre-forward and then gradually blood a young player who you think is going to be an elite player, that to me seems like the right kind of move for Manchester United.
1: Yeah. Um, what about Verratti and Simeone? Oli on Twitter is asking, is there a better fit than those two? <laughs> I mean, it's uh,
2: <laughs> certainly the prospect of, uh, of of those two butting heads on the, on the training ground would be, you know, something to make the mouth water. I mean, when you think about Marco Verratti it's a real strange one because by the end of last season the psg ultras uh, i mentioned it earlier in the show when they were really irate <clears throat> against the club and, and certain players Ferrati, who's been sort of the darling the sweetheart of psg fans for the best part of the last 10 years they'd suddenly turned on him uh, you know during this uh, this outburst uh, and it seems that you know sort of his his kind of lovable traits uh, you know of being this kind of chain smoking uh you know sort of rascal on the pitch with uh you know absolute absolutely velcro ball control um you know is no longer um you know sort of the the star turn that, that he once was there's a feeling that he's kind of become a bit more of a liability similar to sort of marquinhos's demise over the last sort of 12 to 18 months as well where you know major mistakes are now being uh amplified massively and uh you know, I think there is an argument that, you know, Verratti sort of entering into his 30s, uh, you know, is, one, is far too comfortable uh, at PSG. And two, could actually benefit from somebody who's a very old school, uh, you know, manager like Simeone to potentially get the best out of him in his mm-hmm. final few years. Because if if Verratti continues to sort of, Uh, you know, sort of not treat himself that well uh, away from the pitch, you know, cast our minds back a couple of months when Mbappe, famously after losing that first leg in the Champions League to Bayern 1-0, said, well, we're all going to have to sleep better and eat better, you know, ahead of preparing for the second leg. Most people assumed it was aimed towards Neymar, but actually the sleeping well was aimed towards Verratti and his, uh, you know, his, his sort of night-style, nightlife habits, uh, you know, which obviously inherited from uh, Ezekiel Lavezzi back in the day. So I, I actually think that, you know, should Atleti be able to make it work financially, which I think there's major question marks about, Simeone and Verratti could actually be sort of, you know, quite an unlikely
0: couple. Yeah, they could change each other, really, couldn't they? Because the first thing I think about with this is why would Verratti, who is so tidy on the ball, Why would he go to a club where passing the ball and keeping the ball is not valued at all? But then again, maybe he needs to change and maybe they need to change. I mean, I can't explain what a difference a good Verratti would make to Atletico because they're so bad at keeping possession, really. You know, it's all built around the percussion of Antoine Griezmann, but they can't just rely on him. They have to develop, they have to evolve that style. That They always talk about evolving this style and they never do, really. You know, there are incremental little changes. And let's go a different to, to, to what they've been, what they were, say, five, six years ago. But on the other hand, for a player who everything would go through, that would really change the way they play. And in terms of fitness, well, with Simeone, it's either fly or flounder. You know, there's no in-between, is there? So it would either break him or turn him into the best version of himself.
1: I may not be able to say, the way the Danes do, but it's a good job that Swedes...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it
1: does great with me, Andy. Yes, Um, it's a good job that Swedes can pronounce Nigerian names, isn't it? Uh, Poppleton in pink on Twitter says, is Balogun good enough to play at Inter next season. Also, it still seems mad that Arsenal might end up selling him. What do you lads think?
2: Uh, John? This is a really interesting one because he's had a phenomenal season with Hans. I would love to see what he could do at a European league 1 club next season. It seems unlikely that's going to happen because he's being priced out of a potential return to France by Arsenal. I would say that for a club like Inter who have to be really careful with the money that they spend, they could probably spend that sort of fee more wisely than going for somebody like Balogun at at this moment in time. I think there's definitely potential there and I'm excited for what he can potentially do with the USMNT internationally, but I think he needs that season of confirmation. Um, I was surprised that Arsenal were looking to cash in on him so soon and not potentially loan him out and buy a bit of time to work out if he's, potentially sort of the the real deal uh, in order to be brought into the rotation at some point in the future at the Emirates. The fact that they're not suggests to me that they can't believe their luck with the way that he caught fire at house last season. So with that in mind uh, and knowing that Inter don't have a lot of money to throw around, uh, I would err on the side of caution for this one.
1: Andy?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. Um, I, I guess... Really, he's just pressed by the way the squad is at Arsenal. You know, they've got a lot of forward players. And he is a more saleable asset, certainly, in, in, in terms of the way he's been to been able to flourish as a starter in a, a middle-of-the-road league on team than, than, say, Eddie Nketiah. So if you're going to bring proper money in for one of those guys that can't get in the team, maybe, maybe it makes sense. Um, I'm, with that in mind, I can't help thinking that it would be a little bit frustrating for him going to Inter because he's not going to start every game there you know they're based around a, a four striker rotational sort of business and that, that was something that pushed Lukaku over the edge you know that he, he felt he wasn't he wasn't a starter anymore my argument counter argument to that would be if you don't score a league goal for seven months well you're not going to get in the starting eleven but I think when you look at um, the, the players ahead of him Lautaro and Marcus Turan they are you know, they're going to be your starting two, they have to be your starting two. And that means games here and there for Balogun and Joaquin Correa, which I imagine would be not that much different from the situation he's in. I think the
2: other thing to factor in as well, considering Balogun, is at least based on what we saw from him at lance last season, there's still question marks about what he brings to the team outside of just putting that finishing touch and putting the ball in the net. He's very sort of predatory, uh, you know, and I think that can be, you know, quite off-putting and quite difficult for for some teams to accommodate, uh, you know, especially, you know, when there's, you know, such a relatively small sample size because it's only really based on one season uh, in uh, France's top flight and, you know, that counts more for some than others. Uh, So, you know, I do think that there is, uh, you know, this this kind of question marks, you know, as to, you know, exactly what kind of profile, you know, Balogun still is, you know, is he really just sort of an out and out goal scorer, you know, pure predator, uh, incapable of sort of doing anything else in the build up or... Is there sort of another element to his game that could be unlocked somewhere? And I, I agree with Andy as well. I think that, you know, Inter have done some very good business bringing in Marcus Thuram. Uh, I think that they would risk undoing it a little bit by gambling on somebody like Balogun, especially when Turan was a free transfer and Balogun would cost, uh, you know, a, a fee should it be a, a permanent deal.
1: JJ, Andy, thank you both very much. We'll be back next Tuesday with another OTC transfer special. See you then. The Football Ramble is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.